comfortable there. <laughs> no, don't say yes. You don't learn. You don't grow in comfort. That's like going to the weight room and lifting and lifting weights well below what you. I mean, you know, what I'm saying like you can handle that. How's that going to increase muscle? Like you got to increase the intensity, right? Finally, I just threw a bonus point out here. And the other reason why you got to go through the wilderness is because God wants to use you as a prototype, which is to say God wants to use your story to inspire somebody else. Some of you have gone through some stuff, and y'all won't even tell folk what you've been through, which almost doesn't even justify why you went through it. Some of y'all tight-lipped about what God set you free from. Why? The whole reason why you went through that in the first place was so that you could tell somebody. Are y'all hearing that? Well, actually, I'm talking about hearing that little whistle in the mic. <laughs> oh, y'all thought I was getting, asking if you hearing that. They'll work it out. All right, so let's get into our text today. Let's go, let's go to the scripture today. I'm really excited to preach this. I was so excited in the first service. I don't know if I got any strength to preach it like I preached it in the first service and the second service. But I need, I need the Lord to help me. I was on the floor and everything. Lord have mercy. All right, 1 uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 10. And uh, let's look at one we're going to read from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Here it goes. The Bible says, for I do not want you to be what, y'all? Unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Verse 2, and all were baptized into Moses, into the cloud, and in the what? And all ate. How many? They keep emphasizing. All ate the same spiritual what? Verse, three, verse 4, skipping verse 4 says, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. This is critical right here. Who was the rock, everybody? The rock was Christ. You can actually turn me down a little bit because uh, I got a big mouth. Verse 5, nevertheless, nevertheless, with most of them, how many of y'all? God was not pleased. Talking about the children of Israel, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, correction, last week I said six million. I got a little excited. It was really three million, around three million people that came out of bondage into the wilderness. And out of that three million, everybody 20 years old and up was not allowed to go in the promised land. Oh my God. Some of us think we so spiritual because we over 20. <laughs> but the record shows that typically people that have lived a little while struggle to have faith. We've seen too much. Let's go to the next verse. The verse says six. It says, now these things took place as examples for us. Why they happen, y'all? So for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Shut up some of these mics up here. Verse, next verse. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I'm going to preach on that in a few weeks. Verse 8. We must not indulge in what else, y'all? Sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Can't wait to preach on that one too. Verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. But here it goes. Uh, sexual immorality, putting God to the test, all that kind of stuff. And then in the same phrase, he mentions grumbling as equal with sexual immorality. It says, nor do what? As some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Watch this, verse 11. The Bible says, now these things happened to them as example, but they were written down for our what? For our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Here's one of your favorite verses in all the Bible. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he what? Lest he fall, verse 13, because, and I love this verse, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not. I love this. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You're not going to be tried or tested beyond your capacity. Stop saying you can't handle it. If you couldn't handle it, you wouldn't have it. Huh? But with the temptation, the trial, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us today. We really need you. We really do, especially on this one. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. The title of our message today is he can take it. He can take it. He can take it. I can take it. Jesus can take it. All right? Uh, let's, let's get into this thing. Uh, one of the things that science is showing us is that complaining is not good for you. No, I mean, really, like science is saying complaining is not good for you. What, uh, for, for, for example, let me ask this question. Why do people complain? Most people would answer uh, not to torture others, but negatively, surely, just reading from this document. When most of us indulge in a bit of a moan, the idea is to vent. How many like to vent? How many vent like the pastor does? Y'all don't even want to raise your hand because you don't know where I'm going with the sermon. Does anybody vent in here? Does anybody vent? Does anybody vent like we vent? Huh? Anybody get upset every now and then? And you can't control your tongue and, you know, you, you kind of gripe about some things. All right, it's okay. We don't worry. You, I mean, it's okay, right? Uh, but we think that our venting makes us feel better. That's what we've been taught. We've been taught that if I could just let this stuff out, man, I'll release some stress. And some of us have even said, man, after I cussed her out, boy, I feel a whole lot better now. You know what I'm saying? But. Uh, we're talking science. We're not even in the word yet. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. Somebody said, I'm hurting myself. Science, listen to this. Science suggests that there are a few serious flaws in the reasoning that venting helps me. Here's what they say. One not only does expressing negativity, listen, y'all, tend to make us, if not tend to make us feel better, but it's also catching. It affects the mood of other people. I'm still reading now. People don't break wind in the elevator more than they have to. Watch what he says here. This is a scientist talking. He says, venting anger is similar to emotional farting in a closed area. This is science. Science says that to complain is the equivalent of another scientific reality, flatulation. Like, you know, anybody ever been on the elevator and you're like, okay, I don't know who it was in your mind, but one of y'all ain't right. One of y'all not right. This is too much of a confined space. Or in that car with them kids, Lord have mercy. Huh? And so, and so <laughs> yeah, man. So, so, so watch this. What he's saying is, is to complain is the equivalent. It has a similar effect of a fit of offense. That flatulation does. Watch what, watch what he says. He says, people don't break when in elevators more than they have to. Venting anger is similar to emotional farting in a closed area. It sounds like a good idea, but it's dead wrong. 
Okay, so here's things that he says. There are three reasons. I'm going to share three quick reasons, the, main, the first two ones first, why, why negativity affects two things, your brain and your health. Being a complainer is not a misdemeanor when it comes to your health. It's a felony. Can I break it down now? Y'all still here? All right, so one of the things that we discover, first, number one, go to the next one. The first thing that we discover, <laughs> number one, is that when you complain, it rewires your brain to be more predisposed to be negative. So uh, anybody who knows anything about science knows that in your brain, there's an electrical charge that passes through something in your brain called a synapsis, all right? And you have, you have, let's say you have two of them, it's almost like an empty bridge. And between these two points, anytime you have a thought, anytime you do an action, which requires a thought, there was a, there was a shooting of an electrical charge to the other one. And naturally what happens, the more you do a behavior, the closer the synapse come together because the brain doesn't want to work that hard. In other words, the brain is prone to making thought and behavior simple. You know what it's really called? Habit or addiction. So let me just fast forward for you real quick. Anytime you repeat a behavior, for example, when I take a shower, I've taken a shower for so long, praise God, <laughs> that unconsciously, seriously, when I went to a seminar and I heard about this stuff, about the power of habit in the mind, and they were talking about the shower. And they said, most of you, when you take a shower, you thoughtlessly wash the same, wash in the same order that you do every day. That's because at one time, you started a behavior, you kept repeating the behavior, and what happens is that you're trying to figure out why I'm not thinking about it anymore. Because your brain has now created grooves in it called neuroplasticity, where your brain now wants to make it easy on you so you don't have to think no more. Do you get what I'm saying? So, so here's what happens. When you complain a lot, your brain starts creating grooves so that the next time you are confronted with a negative situation, you don't even have to think about praising the Lord. You're not. Let me take it a little further. Some of y'all are so negative that it is, it is psychosis now. Your brain is straight predisposed to always be critical and negative. The second reason, I only, got, I, got, I only got time for two because I got a good word today. Number two, the second reason uh, why we ought not complain is because it increases stress, which lowers your immune system and makes you more predisposed to being sick. In other words, there, there's a chemical that's released in your body called cortisol, and when cortisol is released, cortisol is the stress chemical. And anytime you are stressed, your immune system weakens, and you are more susceptible. They actually, there is, there is research now, there is research now that is suggesting that cortisol is a carcinogen. In other words, it, it helps to create an environment where cancer can metastasize. And I'm reading the books now that are suggesting that one of the main reasons why people are sick is not, is not just because they don't eat right. They're sick because they don't think right. Your mind and your body work together. And we are seeing now that, folks, they say the two main emotions that cause people to sit. Thank you, Dr. Dan Colbert, for pointing this out in his great book, Deadly Emotions. He says there are two, there are, there are two main emotions. It's unforgiveness and anger. And if those two combinations are inside your body and in your heart, you have predisposed yourself to heart disease, high blood pressure, 
Sugar diabetes, that's what black folk call it. Yeah, yeah. Sugar diabetes, right? Huh? So you can say all you want. Uh, complaining's no big deal. Yada, yada, yada. Science is saying complaining's a big deal. It'll kill you. And it'll get you to a place where folks don't even want to be around you because everything you say is so doggone negative. Oh, some of y'all looking away from me right now, y'all. I, I, I feel an uncomfortable spirit in this place right now. We've got to get this. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. Let me show you something else. What? Now, my, my question to you is, is complaining a sin? Most of y'all would say, no, nah, I mean, for real, though. I mean, you say, yeah, but in your heart, everybody in here does it so much. It ain't no big deal. It's misdemeanor, pastor. This ain't no deep stuff. I ain't sleeping with nobody. I ain't getting high. I ain't stealing nothing. But my mouth just bad every now and then. That's cool. Let's see what the word says. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. The Bible says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things. Go on. The Bible says that you may be what, y'all? And what, y'all? So if I complain and I am and negative, in other words, the Bible says I'm not blameless and I'm not innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted, go to the next one, generation amongst whom you shine as lights in the world. One of the ways that you can stand out on your job, one of the ways you can stand out in your family, instead of being so such a complainer, be a praiser. Yeah, look stupid. Say praise the Lord for no reason. Yeah, be that aunt that said, praise the Lord for everything. Better to be that, because what you'll begin to do is you'll be the neuroplasticity of your brain will begin to make grooves in your brain where your natural reaction when difficult times come is to bless the Lord at all times and that his praise will continually be in your mouth. Notice the Bible does not say praise is how you live. I'm tired of y'all picking your own definitions because y'all don't want to praise the Lord. <laughs> praise is not just what you say and what you sing. That ain't what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that praise is something you do with your mouth. Worship is how you live. Oh, I praise God by the way I ride my bike. That's a lie. I praise God by the way I work. No, you don't. Praise, the Bible says, let us offer unto God the sacrifice, Hebrews 13, the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. There's a reason why God wants you to use your mouth. Because when you speak stuff, it helps. I'm still dealing in science. The more you say something, it creates grooves in your brain that make you believe what you're saying. So if you are constantly bemoaning your plight and your situation, you're not only not blameless and a sinner, but you're also predisposing yourself to never believing that God is able. Next text, next text. Let's move, let's move, Michelle. Michelle helping me preach today. Job chapter 1. Now, Job's crazy wife, that old, um, that woman, was, I mean, after that, man lost every, after that man lost everything, the last thing that he needed was his wife's foot on his neck. I'm trying to get, the bro I'm trying to get an easy amen from the brothers. But these, these brothers scared because they sit next to their wives. <laughs> hey, hey, brother, if you know I'm preaching, tap, tap your foot two times. Your pinky toe, amen? That's what I'm saying. Job has gone through it. In one day, Job's lost everything. How many things did he lose, everybody? And then the Bible says after his nagging wife, Lord have mercy, started to curse you. Job, you ought to curse God and I. The Bible says at this, if Job, if anybody had a reason to complain just a little bit, the Bible says at this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Lord, I can't. 
<laughs> and look what he said. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I feel God, ah, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God. How did Job not sin? Even though all hell broke out in his life, he made up his mind. Now, now let me say this. The thing about praise is praise is never based on feeling. Oh, no, God, it's not. Praise is a choice. Oh, no, you choose to praise God. Some of you are like, I don't feel like praising God today. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. I had a bad day. No, 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 no. I make my mind up. I make a decision that God is good. I make a decision in the face of the devil. I make a decision in the face of my circumstances that I will bless the Lord. Oh, don't, don't play with me in here today. Some of you right now need to make up your mind. I'm going to praise him. Some of you right now, while I'm saying this, ought to open up your mouth and say, I will bless him. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, now, 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 go on, go on. There's another text here. I'm getting to it. James 4, 1 through 2 says this. Just setting up. What causes fights and quarrels? Now, the word fights is the, Hebrew, is the Greek word for politics. What causes politics in the church? And quarrels, arguing about stuff that don't matter. President told us the other week, church is always playing defense. We're sitting around trying to defend everything instead of playing some offense, right? He said, what causes that? He said, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Huh? Can some of y'all see this? Verse 2. Now watch this. Don't miss this. Your desire, uh, you desire but do not have, so you kill. Now the Bible is not talking murder. The Bible is talking your mouth. You slander people. You don't know folk. You're making assessments and judgments. You... How dare you? How dare you? I, one of the things I've discovered is this. Uh, here's a simple, this is simple spiritual logic. The Bible says, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow slander, expect people to talk about you. And you got no right to get mad when folks are dogging you when you're running around here dogging everybody else. The scripture says, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get your way. That's why we complain, because we can't get our way. And so you quarrel and fight. You do not, now here's the thing, thank you, Lord. You do not have because you ain't asking God. How fruitful is it to complain when God says, shut your mouth about, you? first of all, you, you complaining to people that can't do nothing about, which I, about your situation. He says, you have not. King James Version, because you ain't asking. Oh, Lord, I got to stay here. Why doesn't the church, why doesn't God's people have everything that he wants them to have? Because they don't be asking God. You know, Pastor, that's not true. I do. I pray all the time. You don't pray. You don't pray. You only pray when you get in trouble. You don't, you don't, come on, talk to me now. I'm talking about a steadiness. I'm talking about a persistence. I'm talking about praying like you're breathing type prayer. Hallelujah. As long as I got breath in my body, I can't help but talk to the next. Do you realize what God has for us? And God's blessings will not be bestowed upon negative, trifling, mean, griping, grumbling, complaining, ungrateful people. Is complaining a sin? Yes, it is. It'll send you to hell if it will keep third, three-fourths of three million people out of the promised land. You're telling me you're you going to get in the kingdom with your nasty mouth? 
notice what Ellen White says, because as I've said, they don't believe the word. Now everybody's going to shout. Ellen says, criticism or complaining is like poison in the body. It makes the body sick. Now, I'm about to blow your mind. Look at this statement from your girl. Watch this. Go to the next one. No church can be in a healthy, flourishing condition unless its leaders shall take firm, decided measures to repress this fault-finding, accusing spirit wherever it exists. Pause. In other words, churches that are dying, Ellen said the reason why they're dying is because leaders, pastors and elders and board members, tolerate fault-finding and complaining all in the church. We kick out girls that get pregnant. We put the person out that's shacking up, but the person whose mouth has been an AK-47 for the past 50 years, we let them do whatever they want. We just say, oh, that's just, that's just her. That's just how he is. Y'all don't understand. Oh, no, 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 no. The reason why churches are not growing and are not healthy is because there's a lot of folk in the church that have gotten away with murder. Watch this. Now, y'all ain't seen nothing. All the old school Adventists, I'm about to rock your world. You never heard this one. I promise you ain't never read this quote before. Watch the next sentence. It's indulgence. Indulging, complaining, and criticism should be made a matter of church discipline. She's saying that folks should be put out of the church. Y'all not hearing me. She's saying folks should be put out of the church, Nickens, for complaining and criticizing. We wouldn't have an Adventist church. I mean, my mind. Not the one I grew up in. If these mischievous talkers are not subjected to church discipline, they become confirmed in their evil work, and God charges the guilt upon the church. Oh, listen, when I read stuff like that, believe me, I'm going to live it. And I'm bowing before you right now, first as pastor, that by the grace of God, I'm going to guard my tongue from evil. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not expecting you to do what I'm not doing. I have asked the Lord all week long, God, take away the complaining, critical spirit that comes out of this mouth. Take it away. Because, God, you are telling me that if I'm the leader of the church, that this should not be tolerated in the house of God. Should not be tolerated. I'm, listen, I'm coming like a heat-seeking missile. If you come to me with foolishness about somebody else, I'm going to rebuke you, and I'm going to tell you to go and talk to them. It ain't none of my business what so-and-so is doing. I remember I had a member come and say to me, uh, they came and said, uh, Pastor, you know so-and-so is sleeping with such-and-such. And, such. and, and, and I said, well, well, it ain't none of my business. 
But pastor, how can you say that? You're the pastor of the church. And, and you knew about it and didn't say nothing about it. And you're more wrong than they are because you're running around spreading their business and you haven't prayed for them. You have not approached them. You have not dealt with them according to Matthew 18. You ought to get your behind out of the church. Look at your neighbor and say, kick them out. Kick them out. Kick them out. Get them out of the church. Purify the church. Let's make the church a place of grace, not a place of fault finding and criticism. Kick them out. Let me get it. Let me let me close this thing out. Let me close this thing out. Exodus 15. Uh, skip skip through that. Go to Exodus 15 for me. Yeah 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 yeah. Uh huh. Right there. Say right there. So 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 let me close this thing down. So let me tell you what happened. We talk about the children of Israel, right? We know complaining based upon what we read. Not good for your health. Not good for your mind. It's a sin. And Ellen says it's something that should be not tolerated in the body of Christ. But. This is the very thing that kept the children of Israel out of the promised land. And the text we read earlier said, church, y'all better watch them. To him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Be careful that you don't fall into the same pattern. So in Exodus 15, the children of Israel, and I love this. Oh, I feel God. (laughs) The Bible says that the Lord took some slaves about old children. This is not an army. He took three million slaves and delivered them. Don't, 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 don't minimize that. He, he emancipated them. In, listen, y'all. In one week, he ripped them out of, get this, get this, let this, let this sink in like it did for me. He literally subdued and humiliated the most powerful man and empire in the world. And he did it with a stick. Don't tell me what God is not able to do. God said, Moses, get this stick in your hand. Moses said, what am I supposed to do with this? The Lord says, I'm going to show you signs and wonders. I want you to walk up in Pharaoh's palace. I love, I love, I love I love the bravado. I love the swag on your boy Moses after he stopped uh, complaining about what he couldn't do. And God said, I am that I am. The Bible said, God said, take your stick, walk into the palace, walk past secret service, walk past all of his handlers, walk past all of his pages. And I want you to go into the most powerful man in the then known world. I want you to put your finger in his face and say, let my people go. Oh, my God. Thank you. And listen, don't tell me what God won't do. God will see. He will. He, he can. He can move political systems. I ain't scared of no Donald Trump. Come on in here, y'all. Huh, I'm not scared of the Pope. Uh, my God is able to shift political powers. And the Bible says he ripped them out with a mighty hand. He made war. He defied laws of logic and natural law. The word of God says, how do you make water stand up without freezing? And the Lord said, I blew my mouth on it and it did what I told it to do. 
tell you what a lot of people don't even study, though, is this. How do you get, how do you get three million people across the Red Sea, which stretches for miles in a night with old people and with children? The whole thing was a miracle. God moved, accelerated their footsteps. God held time and space. And the minute they escaped the walls, look at the walls now. I love how, how, how Moses describes it. Moses says he describes it in anthropological terms. In other words, he makes the water seem like it existed, like it had a personality. It said the waters consumed, swallowed up the armies of the Egyptians and destroyed them. Watch this now. And the people just nearly escaped. There is blood surfacing on the waters. There are dead bodies and chariots floating. And they are looking at that and saying, that could have been me. Is there anybody that can look back on your Egypt and see dead bodies and casualties and say, that could have been me? No, 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 no. I'm talking to some real folk in here. How many can look back over your life and say, I could have overdosed. I could have took my life. I could have lost my mind. I could have thrown in the towel. But it was the delivering power of God. Sitting here looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm looking at you. Why are you crazy? How come your hands ain't lifted? How come your mouth ain't open? Look back over your life. Throw your hands up and say, he kept me. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They are seeing this. And the Bible says they, they kick up a praise. Your boy Moses can't even control himself. I'm talking about the dignified leader. When the leader starts shouting, it just takes your time to shout. Uh, they were looking around, didn't know what to do. And then Moses was rolling on the ground and Moses was shouting. And the Bible says he, 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 he wrote a song on the spot. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Sing ye unto the Lord, the horse and the rider he has cast down into the sea. And the Bible says that the people of God were looking at Moses and they could see tears in his eyes. And they began to celebrate God. And right there on the beaches of the Red Sea with dead bodies behind them, they danced all over the place and blessed the name of God. You would have thought that the shouting would have been over. And then Miriam comes along. Miriam can't hold herself. Yeah, anybody ever seen one of your family members get happy? And then you get happy? Uh, let me talk to these folk over here. Hey, listen, I, 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 never, I never shall forget that time. My dad, after he was rescued, uh, he, he, was in a, he was in a fire and should have killed him. Should have killed him. The woman that he tried to save, she died. I remember the first Sabbath, my dad came back to preach, and as he was preparing himself to bring the word, he, the word couldn't come out, and, and praise start coming out of his mouth, and his feet got to moving, and oh, y'all know, I ain't never seen my daddy do that before, and my daddy began to throw his hands up, and tears began to flow down his face, and at that time, I didn't really know nothing about no praise and worship, but when I saw my daddy praise God, Something welled up in me, and I began to lift up my hands, and I began to open up my mouth, and I began to bless the name of the Lord. Because when you see somebody else praising, it's contagious. Holy God. The Bible says, watch what happens now. The Bible says that Miriam starts praising. And then listen, man, they just, 
I mean, you're talking about three million people going in. Going in. And then a week went by. He's still praising God. Oh, well, he did it. Won't he will? Yes, he will. They waking up in the morning. Hey, girl, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing Rexy fine. Oh, God. I mean, they high-fiving each other at the well. I mean, they just singing and praising the Lord. Grandmama can't stop praising him. Two weeks go by. Everybody ain't praising no more. But they still thankful. God is good. Another week go by. And then the Bible says a month goes by, and they're three days in the wilderness, and they run out of water. Now, I'm going to say something here right now. I don't mean to offend you. But what you do in here does not make you a Christian. What you do on the beach does not, it's not a fair representation of who you are. It's what you do in the desert when you don't run out of water. Now, let's not make light of this. Running out of water is a serious thing. We got three main needs. First is oxygen. Second is water. You can go 21 days without food. You might go three days without water, but in sub-Sahara temperatures, where the temperature exceeds 100 degrees Fahrenheit, y'all not hearing me. Let's not pounce on them too hard. I can understand their frustration. As a matter of fact, when you get dehydrated, one of the symptoms of dehydration is irritability. So we talk about water. Anybody, get, some of y'all can't handle not eating for a few hours. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you, I know who you are. I can say he ain't eating today. And don't let, and don't let you have no sugar. <laughs> oh, Lord. You're messing with the wrong one now. I ain't eat yet. Somebody, somebody give me some Kentucky Fried Chicken or something. Do we not understand their frustration? But here's a critical point I want to make, and I want to show you to in the text. Look at the text. Let's go. Look at the text real quick. I got to move quickly. Look at the text. Then Mo, uh, Go back. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Amen. The horses and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Uh, and then Miriam turned around, like, like I told you. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was here somewhere. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and the woman went out after her. Tambourines? Uh-oh. Hey! <laughs> oh! The word of God says, the, the word of God says they were praising him in, his, in their hearts. No, 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 no. The Bible says they were dancing. And, and, and watch what happened. And they said, they sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed, how, y'all? Gloriously. Uh, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And after all that praise, and watch what happened. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Uh-huh. Then they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Uh, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. And the water became, okay, here's point number one out of, out of the three I got. First point is this. One of the things that God wants to teach us 
when he tests us is he wants to first teach us that, number one, there's a good thing. I can change bitter circumstances into sweet, watch this, if you ask me. Some of you are looking at your situation right now, and it looks like it cannot change. Notice how God does it. God says, Moses, take a bitter piece of wood. And nobody ate wood before, but if those of you who've tried, like I did when I was a kid, wood does not taste good. But watch what God does. There's bitter water. In my mind, Lord, put some sugar in there. You're going to sweeten it. The Lord said, I can put something bitter in something bitter and still bring, make it sweet. The, the Hebrew word for sweet is literally sweet tasting like honey. The Lord didn't just give him drinking water. The Lord gave him Kool-Aid. Hey, bro, this, this, this for all my folks that drink Kool-Aid. Some of y'all too sophisticated. Great, great Kool-Aid. Well, come on in here. Not that fruit punch stuff. I'm talking about grape with lemonade in it. Come on in here, somebody. I, I'm saying the Lord, watch what God can do. Here's why we ought not complain. Because whatever your situation is, God can change it if you ask him. I don't just, I don't see how they're going to be able to do that. I don't see how they're how they going to do this. I mean, I don't, I don't know why they're doing it anyway. They were just nice and comfortable where they were. I mean, we got a lot of history there. Uh, and they don't got no money. I mean, I don't, okay, okay, I hear you. What I would suggest you do, get on your face. Shut up, talk. What are you changing by grumbling? Now, do you want us to fail? We out here now. Do you want us to fail or do you want us to win? I want, I want y'all to win. So if you want us to win, complaining ain't going to help you nor us. Why don't you redirect your complaint towards God? Yes. <sighs> Notice now, they complained, but and, and here's the point I want to make. Complaining is only a sin when it's not directed toward God. Instead of complaining to Moses, they should have took their complaint to God. But we see, we're so unbelieving that we... How many, listen, ask yourself this question. And I want you to imagine in your mind, God has all these unwrapped gifts in heaven right now. And they have, and they're all blessings. There's just billions of them, billions of them. The reason I know this to be true because I read it in the Spirit of Prophecy. There's just billions, billions, billions of unwrapped gifts in heaven. And you know why you don't have it? Because you won't ask for it. You run your mouth too much. You're too busy complaining. You're too busy wishing people to fail. you too stop being a hater. And start directing your stuff toward, even if you want them to fail. I remember David, when David would even pray, David would pray crazy stuff to God. David would say, Lord, kill my enemies. Make, make my enemies' mother's womb their sepulcher. <laughs> Good God Almighty. Kill them, Lord. Hey, but listen, God can handle it. And God can fix David. And God can fix your enemies. But folks that's wanting us to fail, they're going to fail. Yeah. Folks that's wanting you to fail, they're going to fail. Yeah. And let me say another thing. Stop running after folk who's dogging you. You're wasting your energy and you're wasting your time. The Bible, the Bible tells us that we should never have to defend ourselves. The Bible says vengeance is the Lord's. Y'all are not hearing me in here. Ain't no need for you to defend your ministry, justify your existence. Tell folk why you're doing what you're doing. You can't explain faith to people. 
You can't explain miracles to people. You have stepped out on faith. How are you going to explain that to somebody who don't have it? Number two, next point, next point. Let's keep this thing moving. Next point. Then he tests them again. They failed that one. The Lord made the water sweet, so told him he could change anything. Then, in chapter 16, they set out for Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Uh-oh. Hey, look, when you see that mile marker that says wilderness of sin in three miles, you should know some trouble is coming, right? It says, and all the congregation, all the congregation, all the congregation, all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of what, y'all? Here it goes, here it goes, here it goes. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, now we done dealt with you, Moses. Now, go get your crazy brother and he'll come over here to you. In the wilderness, verse 3, and the people of Israel said to them, would, <laughs> would that we had died. <laughs> oh, it must be real bad. That we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots <laughs> and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Next one, next one, next one. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to. Uh, I'm, go, I'm about. <laughs> Y'all forgive me. I'm not crazy. I'm just excited. I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Keep going. Keep going. On the sixth day, somebody shout the sixth day. When they prepared what they bring in, it will be. It'll be twice as much as they gather daily. Verse 6, so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought, it was the Lord, oh, it wasn't us, it wasn't us. It was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. When you grumble against people, you are grumbling against the Lord. When you complain about people, you are testing the Lord. Verse 8, and Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the, in, the, in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us. Okay, so, so check this. They get out there and ain't no food. By now, they should have been like, okay, this is a test. And you know what they start doing? They complain against Moses. They got a big cloud in front of them, big old cloud. Clearly, they know it's the Lord because every time the cloud moves, they move. But they don't want, they're too cowardly to go to God because they want to blame Moses. That's a whole nother something I can talk about. So, oh, man, we, I wish we could have, it was better off when we was in Egypt. Because when we was in Egypt, at least we had pots of fried fish. And at least we had uh, chicken dinners. And at least we had biscuits. And we had, we had all his stuff. And then Moses, you done brought us out here to die. We were so much better back in Egypt. Do you hear what you're saying? You're saying I was better off in slavery. That's how people feel. People would rather be comfortable in bondage than they would to be out there with no control believing God. 
So here's the second point I want to make, and I got one more. The second point I want to make is this. What God just revealed there is God can not only change a bitter situation, God can create. In other words, God can bring something from nothing and take you somewhere out of nowhere. See, in this case, there was no food around. God didn't change nothing. He didn't change a rock into a fish. He didn't do that. What did the Lord do? He called down bread from heaven. <laughs> Come on in here, somebody. He called it down from heaven. Uh, do you hear what God is saying to you? God is saying to you, I don't need some of you right now. You're concerned about this, concerned, worried about that. God said, stop looking around. Close your eyes. Get, get on your face and talk to me. He said, I don't need money. I don't need your health to be in order. I don't need your children to act right. I don't need your marriage to have had a good start. I'm such a powerful God that I literally can pull something out of nothing and take you somewhere from nowhere. Look at your life right now. See situations where you need a blessing and stop looking for evidences of where God's going to get it from. God don't need to get it from nowhere. The Lord says, I can pull down pancakes from heaven. The Lord said, I can bring quail from wherever I want. I'll give you fried chicken in the evening and I'll give you pancakes in the morning if you will just call out on my name. Are y'all seeing the progression? First, he changes one thing, and then the second time, he says, oh, let me really show him something now. I'm going to put him someplace where ain't nothing, and then I'm going to pull stuff from nowhere. There's a text for that. The Bible says that he spoke, and it came into existence. He commanded it, and it stood fast. The scripture says he speaks those things that are not as though they were. Get your faith up. Come on in here. Let me push you this morning. Get your faith up. Stop whining about everything. Stop moaning about your life. Do you not know the God that you serve? My God never takes off. My God is never on vacation. My God is always in control. One of the things that I'm learning in this life is that it is impossible to complain when you believe that God is in charge. Do you believe that God is in charge of your life? No, you don't. I'm asking, I want to know from your belly, do you believe that every step that you have taken is ordered by the Lord? What are we worried about when we have a God that can call down food from heaven? Uh, but pastor, I'm just a realist. Take that real thinking and go to hell. Take, because understand this, that is an unbelieving spirit. That is the kind of spirit that gets people lost. God didn't ask us to see stuff. God told us to walk by faith and not by sight. Can you imagine if we only depended on what we saw? If you want to go to hell, take that real thinking. If you want to be saved, the Bible says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Last one, last one, last one, last one. Exodus 17. You think by now they got it. They got it now. Watch this. 
all the congregation of Israel, two days later, moved from the wilderness of sin of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Uh-oh. Now, remember this, guys. God just showed them that he's able to manipulate physiologically water. Sister Brown, he caused water to stand up. Now, you think on this, oh, no, we've not seen this before. We've seen this. The Bible says, therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. The word quarreled means they were in his face at this point, ready to kill him. And said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Mm. Mm. Why do you test the Lord? Keep going. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us now? And our children and our animals with thirst. The Bible says in verse 4, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this crazy people? Oh, no, it's not in there. I'm sorry. In the Hebrew, it's there somewhere. Huh? What's, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Moses is on panic mode now. And watch what God says. Here it is. I got to bring this down. Uh, and the Lord said to Moses, uh, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Let me tell you why he asked for the elders. You study patriarchs and prophets. Ellen says it was the elders that were instigating a lot of the complaining and negativity. It was the leaders doing that foolishness. He said, now you take them. Take them because they don't believe. Now watch what happens. (laughs) Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff, oh, Lord, with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Y'all remember the other text that said he is the rock? And you shall strike me. I'm going to end this here. I don't need to see the other text. Watch what happens here. The Lord says, the Lord says, says, he said, watch this. He said, get them elders. And I want y'all to go to the rock. The Bible says when the Lord gets to the, when when he gets to the rock, he said, take the staff with you. Now, when the children of Israel see that staff, the first thing they think is, oh, we about to die. Because that staff was just used to destroy an entire nation. So their reference point with the staff is, oh, he, done, he tired of us now. <laughs> let's, let's do the last rites. We dead. And so I want you to see Moses grab that staff, and the people have a look of terror on their face. The elders are following. They don't know what's going to happen because the Lord only spoke to Moses. And as they're going toward the rock, the Lord says this. He said, what I'm going to do is, is, he said, I got something new for y'all. I'm going to get in the rock. The Hebrew says that he got in the rock. How does eternity get into a fossilized mineral called a rock? And just in my imagination, I can see God trying to contain his presence in a rock. The rock can barely contain him. And there is this force of power that is shaking the rock. And Moses is thinking, I'm going to die. But he obeys God because God says, now hit the rock. Now, understand now, Moses knows that if you touch the Lord, you'll die. Moses, with a trembling hand, takes the staff and hits the rock. The Bible says that a gush of grace, I'm sorry, water, (laughs) 
Water began to flow. So much water that it wouldn't stop. And here's the lesson I want you to get last. Here's the last lesson. Lord, Lord's making two points. The first one is this. Striking the rock is an illustration of taking your problems to God. He's trying to show them if you hit me, if you bring it to me, I can handle it. Hit me with your problems. Hit me with your burdens. Hit me with your complaints. And I can cause water to come out of something dead. Second point. He's trying to teach them a lesson <laughs> about grace. Now that rod should have hit them. But the Lord says, put the chastisement on me. Here's, a, here's the last reason why you should never complain again for the rest of your life if you can think about it. Because the Lord took your mess. You've been saved by grace. You've been delivered from the pits of hell. You were on your way yesterday and the Lord took your stuff. You don't believe it. You, you, you think you are all right. Uh, think about this for a little bit. If it had not been for the Lord on your side, you should have been dead. Uh, don't, don't ask sophisticated with me in here. I'm the pastor of this church, and I recognize that it's only God that allows me to stand here and talk about him. So surely it must be only God that you can enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Why? Because his mercies are new every morning. You came in here on mercy. You walked in here on grace. If you didn't breathe grace and exhale grace, oh, the, the Lord would have killed you in your sin. But it is because God took your stuff. He said, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Have I got anybody in here right now that knows the Lord took your stuff? He took your lying tongue. He took your anger. He took your lust. He took your rebellion. He took your unforgiveness. He, he took your bad attitude. He took your, he took your stuff. He said, I'll take it and I'll bless you. Anybody can say I'm more blessed than I'm deserved. I'm, oh, thank you, Lord. How many can worship right now and say everything I got is because God has been good. Everything I have is not because of my goodness of my own, but it's because of the Lord's mercies. It's because the Lord has been kind. He took my stuff. Grab your neighbor by the hand. I feel God. And tell your neighbor, he took my stuff. He took everything. No, you acting stuck up. Grab your neighbor. Grab your neighbor and say, neighbor, he took my stuff. He took my sin. He took my unrighteousness. Some of y'all barely want to smile here. Pastor, you're right. He took my stuff. Where, where are my folk out there? You was in the club. Could have been this one. And a bullet flew by. It should have hit you. You was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But the Lord put an angel. Y'all not going to shout on this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Some of you were in the wrong bedroom at the wrong time. You should have been the baby daddy. 
when she fell on your face and prayed. Lord, don't let her be pregnant. Some of you were laying on the hospital bed and they gave you a few more months to live. But you cried out unto the Lord, unworthy as you were. And you said, Lord, count not my trespasses against me. Uphold me with the right spirit. God, save me. Anybody in here today can lift your hand and say, I'm only here because of the grace of God. He woke me up this morning. He started me on my way. Have I got anybody here that knows he'll make a way out of nowhere? Lift your hands and praise him. Can praise him in here. What you gonna do when you get out there? What are you gonna seriously? Turn off Tom Joyner, put on some praise music. Turn off 850 and 92.3 and get something in your spirit before you go to work. Some of you struggle with negative thoughts and depressing emotions. Oh, studies are showing now that praise will change the wiring of your brain. Some of you are wondering, why am I not happy? Because you you're not thankful. When you face difficulty, some, 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 I don't, I don't know, some of us, we just, our natural reflex is critical, complain, whine. And the Bible is teaching us nothing comes of that. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing comes of it. It makes you a worse person, and it makes you get you to a place where you can't even trust God. But I know doctrine. If you have no faith, what do you have? Well, my grandmother built a church, so you don't have no faith. I just want to do my part, Pastor. I just want to come and do what's right. Yeah, but God wants to use you. But God can't use you because you're so toxic. There's a way to fix that. Praise. Gratitude. Counting your blessings. Thankfulness. I don't know who that word was for today. I know it was for me. I've been in a pity party and funk. Lord just came to me and said, boy, take it to me. Get on your face. Cry out. I'll fix 
know who you are. I want you to move out of your seat and let me pray for you right now. That was for somebody. I'm not sure who it is. But the Lord had, the Lord had a word for somebody today. And if you're not careful, your mouth is going to get you in trouble. The Lord said, now I want you to use your mouth to praise me. I see your hand, my sister. Huh? I mean, look. No Bible. Science. Science says now that you can actually restructure your brain by praising God. <laughs> Do y'all believe yet? That your brain <laughs> will then make you predisposed to faith by giving him glory. Listen, the next time you come to a giant, a problem, a mountain, no water, no food, the Bible says take no thought about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Say, your father knows you need these things. He says, seek first the kingdom of righteousness. He said, all these things will be added unto you. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and the peace of God. That's good, man. That's good. That's a good word right there. Be anxious for nothing. Wow. I, I got to hold on. But that's serious. The Bible says worry about nothing. Whew. Glory to God. Somebody should just bless him right now. No, no, no. no. Not because I asked you to. But find a place. Find a posture of gratitude right now. And, and in, the, in the presence of the congregation, find a reason to praise the Lord right now. Right now. Right now. Make a choice. Make a choice. Make a conscious decision. I'll bless you, Lord. I praise you. I'll give you the fruit of my lips. Remember now, praise comes from the mouth. Praise comes from the mouth. And listen, while you're talking, your brain is getting in order. While you're talking, neuroplasticity is taking place. While you're exalting him, your heart is beginning to believe that which the word of God says. So I want you to practice right now. Think of as many things that you can say about the goodness of God right now. Tell God you love him. Tell God you're thankful. We need to, we need to learn how to exalt him with the fruit of our lips. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody just might want to repeat, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I bless your name. You're a good God. You're an amazing God. You're worthy of worship. You're worthy to be extolled. You're worthy to be exalted. You're worthy to be magnified. I love you, God. I don't have everything I want, but I got everything I need. Glory to the name of God. God, I bless your name. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to praise you. I'm not ashamed to say I love you. I'm not ashamed to say I love you. I'm not ashamed to say I love you, Lord. I'm not ashamed to say I love you, Jesus. I'm not ashamed to bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Jesus.